Well, once again, it's wonderful to be back and uh, appreciate all that was done here in the church while I was gone. We've got great staff and lay leaders that are able to take care of everything and kept in touch as much as I could. For about four days, I was a little out of touch. We uh, I could email from time to time, but when you're cruising the Bahamas, you're just really not focused on the church. I'm sorry to tell you that. Uh, it's not that you were the first thing on my mind. I know, suffering. But like I said, we'd been planning this, well, for 40 years. That's how long we've been married. So uh, we've... We had a great time. It was great to be with our family. But it is wonderful to be back in Salem, particularly after spending two weeks in Florida, uh, which, for whatever reason, I think I'm planning to retire there, and I can't figure out for the life of me why, <laughs> other than my kids are there. But um, it's nice to leave the sauna of Florida for the wonderful weather and the great people of Salem, Oregon. So let's talk about something that is also near and dear to my heart, and it's represented by this slide right here. Hopefully it'll come up here. Yeah, see that, that music? I love music. Music is incredible. Music is universal. It, it unites us together. You know, we can sing. You ever been to a, a baseball game or something? You stand to your feet and you sing the Star Spangled and whatever, and it just unites us, and you, you get that great feeling of being together. It also divides us pretty well, though, too, doesn't it, as we uh, come up with our own particular genres. And I like most types of music. Uh, most is the word there. Um, I, I like everything from incredible symphonies and Beethoven and Bach and Mozart. Um, I love bluegrass and I love rock and roll. I, could I just, little truth here, I'm just not a country western fan at all. So... Now, see, see, we're divided already, aren't we? Just like that. I told you, music divides us that way. It's just, I've never been able to get into that thing. I like bluegrass, I love that, but oh well. Anyway, did you know, now, where, sh where, sh where, where are you, Charlene? Are you here? Wave at me. Oh, she's back. There you go. Oh, good, good, good. Step in here for a second. And Dave, you can probably help me out too, because I'm not a music expert. My son, our oldest son, is a worship pastor. He went to school, he studied music, all that stuff. He knows it inside and out. But I've been checking. I think that in Western music, there are only 12 actual notes. Is that correct? When you talk about A, I think I've got them. It's, it's like A and then B flat and then B. There's no such thing as C flat. It's just C. Then D flat and D. E flat and E. F. G flat, G, and then to A flat, right? That's, those are the only notes we have, correct? Now, thank you so much. Be, be impressed. Think about this for a second. Every song you've ever heard, from the greatest symphony to the simplest little ditty that the kids sing, is simply a combination of those 12 notes. Rearranged in different octaves, different timing, 12 notes make up every single Western song, and I mean here in the Western Hemisphere, you have ever heard. That's amazing to me. Think of all the combinations, particularly when you realize that there are one million songs published here in North America every year. It is amazing. Every song from Bach to Bieber, or however you pronounce Justin's last name, is just a combination of those 12 notes. Music is important. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. But you know what? Music is important to God. Very important to Him. I'm going to show you how important it is. He actually published 
through his human instruments, his own songbook of 150 songs. We call it the book of Psalms. Did you think they were just poems? No. They're not poems. They're songs. They're the lyrics to songs that his people would use in their private devotion and in their corporate worship. I'm going to show you that, as a matter of fact. Sometimes the songs, the psalms, actually tell us which instruments are supposed to be used. By the way, the word psalm actually means from a stringed instrument, or it means a song. Psalm is like a song. It's not a poem. It's not a thought. It's a song. Take a look at this one. Psalm 4 says, for the director of music, for stringed instruments. David even says, okay, I wrote this now. This is for you, director, big choir, and I want you to use stringed instruments. Okay? Sometimes he tells us exactly the one to use. Watch this. Psalm 5. From the director of music for flutes. He wrote this one just for flutes. Okay? How about the next one? Sometimes we get this one right here. It says, for the director of music with stringed instruments according to a sheminth, a psalm of David. Now, let me tell you what, what the word sheminth, sheminth no, means. We have no idea. None. Shemineth could mean an instrument. It could. Well, we can't fear. Sometimes, some people think Shemineth means like a certain section, like the alto section of the choir. But quite frankly, we don't know what a Shemineth is. Or how about this one? The very next psalm, Psalm 7. Shagayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush of Benjamin. See, he wrote this one about a specific person. He writes a song about the specific person. And it's a specific type of song called a Shagayon. You know what that means? We have no idea. We don't know. It's, we think it might mean sad song, but we've lost the whole meaning of what a Shagayon is. It's just there. How about Psalm 8? For the director of music, according to a Getigeth, a Psalm of David, and again, you already know what we know about Getigeth, which means what? We have no idea. We don't know. Is it a type of instrument? Could be. Is it, are we really, really? And sometimes these songs, the lyrics, were written for tunes that were already existing. Take a look at this one. Psalm 9. For the director of music to the tune of the death of a son. A Psalm of David. In other words, everybody already knew the song, the death of a son. David writes this one and says, Sing it to that tune. It would be like you coming up with, the, with a praise or, a, or something or a prayer to God and say to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. This is a book of songs. Now, some of you who don't think music is very important, our father had 150 songs, the lyrics, preserved for us. That's how important it is. I enjoy um, all kinds of music and church music, and I enjoy everything from the, from the hymns to, to praise choruses. But one of the things I also really enjoy is when we can actually sing a song that is just Scripture. Because that's what a hymn is. That's what a psalm is. It's just Scripture set to music with nothing else. As a matter of fact, we're going to sing one.
One of the very first choruses, and uh, Dave, thank you for allowing me to borrow your guitar for a second here. <clears throat> One of the very first choruses that I ever learned, because this is an oldie. Actually, it's really old because the lyrics come straight out of Psalm 5. Take a look at this. This is Psalm 5 from the King James Version. We have a song called Psalm 5. It's word for word. Anybody know, remember it? Do you know it? Dave, you remember it? Let's see if we can remember it. It goes like this. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. My King and my for unto thee will I praise. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look Every single song. a song. There was a time when God's people knew the melodies to them all. And that's what they sang to the Lord. It's incredible. Now, why is music, I mean, 150 lyrics, song lyrics, actually preserved for thousands and thousands of years? Why are, is the music so important to God? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons right now. We're not even in your sermon notes yet. This is a freebie. Ready? First of all is this. We seem to be hardwired for music. Whether you like music or you don't, you're actually hardwired for it. We have studied all the cultures that have been, and we have never, ever found a culture that did not have some form of music. We are hardwired for certain things. For instance, the spoken language, we're hardwired for that. You get a little kid at some point who just kind of listens, and pretty soon they learn the language. Are we hardwired for the written language? No. We have to teach that. It isn't natural. We have to sit down and teach them the written language. Spoken language, they'll pick it up like that. They're hard already. It comes as standard equipment. You are hardwired for music. It is in your brain. Some sort of rhythm, some sort of melody, whatever it is, you just pick up on it. So naturally, our Father who created us, who hardwired that, is going to have 150 songs. And he says, get these in your head. I created you for that. But there's another reason that the songs are so important. Up until recently, and I mean in the time of history very recently, songs were the best way to teach the truths of God. We take for granted books. We take for granted literacy. We take for granted reading. We can have a class and sit down right now and put it on PowerPoint and give you all the truths about God that I know, and boom, 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 and there you are. Remember, that's very, very recent. Very recent that a lot of people could read. We've had the printing press now for hundreds of years, but books were so expensive. It's only been recently that we have literacy where we say most people can read. Prior to that, how did you teach them? We had to do something that, was, that they were already hardwired for, something that would get in their minds, something that would get in their heads. And guess what? It is 
a song. How many of you can still remember stupid little ditties from the television set 30 and 40 years ago, right? And the, they're in there and they won't get out. And sometimes they rise to the surface and they go over and over and over and over again until you say, Lord have mercy. <laughs> I just don't need to hear that song anymore. Yeah. Why do most of the products have a little jingle with them? Because they know we're hardwired for music and that's how you get that thought in somebody's head and it just, God knows that. It's just he was using jingles a long time ago. He called them songs. Get them in your head. Learn them. Because now we're not just talking about product to buy. We're talking about a father to serve. These psalms, by the way, were so important. Uh, I'll have to share this with Matt and Caleb, who are on their way uh, for ordination as an elder in the church. In the early church, you could not be ordained unless you memorized all 150 psalms. You could recite them all from memory, and if you couldn't, you could not be a pastor in the early church. Wow. I think I've only memorized one, actually, the whole thing. And it's the shortest one, of Psalm 117, so it's pretty easy. But uh, 150 songs in your head before you could be a pastor. Now, we don't have time to look at them all. We really don't. We're going to be looking at just a few. And part of this is coming out of uh, uh, something that I'm going to be doing this fall. Um, we have a church around the world, of course. And our church in Malawi, which is an African country just below the equator, the pastor's there and the church is so, uh, so poor. They're so incredibly poor. They, these pastors, they go to villages. They have no electricity. They have no running water. Okay, we're talking about pastors who live in huts. That's what their villages are like. How do you train those pastors? How, where do you send them to go to school? You can't. They're, they can't pay anything, nothing, to go to school. So now, do we send untrained? Well, we're, we're Methodists in the background. And for our background is we take, we take people like that and we train them. We don't... Say you have to go and get a seminary degree or a doctor to preach. We take people who don't have those opportunities and we teach them. And the only way to do it in Malawi is they rely on pastors here in America who are equipped and qualified to go over there for four weeks and teach. And so that's what I'll be doing here. Uh, the conference is going to pay for the whole thing, which is very lovely. I appreciate that. So something coming out of this particular church. But they paid my airfare. But I'll tell you how, how poor these people are. I have to bring all the materials. I have to bring them all their books and give them to them. Any writing materials, I have to bring them. Anything like that. They have nothing. One of the classes I'm going to teach is the book of Psalms. Now, it's going to take me four weeks there. And we will go over all 150. They will have homework every night. They will go over every psalm and then come back with a report to me about it. We don't have the time to do that here. So for the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at just five songs, and we're going to call this series right here. We're going to call it Five Songs That Can Change Your Life. Now, there are not too many songs out there that can do that. These five songs can do it. You listen to these five songs. You learn them. You study them. Follow what they say. Your life can be absolutely different in just five weeks. Here's the type of songs, because psalms are all kind of a different kind of 
grouping. So here we go. These are the five songs we're going to look at. We're going to look at a song of praise. We're going to look at a song of wisdom. We're going to look at a song of trust. We're going to look at a song of proclamation. And we're going to look at a song of honesty. Five different songs of the 150 that will change your life. You with me? Here we go. Let's start with this one, a song of praise. Okay? Would you stand to your feet? I think it's printed in your bulletin, or you can read it from the, uh, from the screen here. Let's read together a song of praise to the Lord. Here it is. Ready? Let's read it together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You kind of getting a message here from God? There, let's dance. Please be seated. This is incredible. Or you can stand and dance. That's all right. Two things right away. Two things. God had this song written. There was used to be a tune to it. We don't know what that is anymore. He had it preserved. Two things we know right away. First of all, he loves music and he loves praise. It's incredible when you read this one, particularly as I read it in the, in the context, in the history of, of my own Christian upbringing. And my, I came to faith as a teenager and, and started in a, in a different denomination before I came into the Free Methodist Church, although back then they were very similar. And we used to ban back then several things that this particular psalm says you got to do. Did you know, by the way, that in the Free Methodist Church until the late 40s, we banned all musical instruments? You don't praise God with musical instruments. Apparently, we didn't read this one somewhere. I don't know. We got lost in translation. But the only way to praise God in a service was a cappella. Then somebody got enough nerve to say, what? we should bring in a piano, a stringed instrument, because that's what that really is. It just use keys to hit the strings. But, boy, you would never bring in a guitar. And, Lord, have mercy. Don't bring in drums, whatever you do. And don't dance, because dancing is evil and bad amazing that we even believe that incredible i remember the first time i brought a guitar into church as a teenager and the looks i got like you know straight from the pits of hell amazing over my career i've had so many comments and, and anonymous notes and some not anonymous and emails from people who were upset over uh, drums or or cymbals or music or or even dancing people moving on the platform kind of well i know we don't do that because when we praise you see we must do this you know and you can you can but you don't move when you sing or you get the email because that's bad <laughs> what that's not what it says now you can tell me that you don't like it and that's okay that's fine you have every right to to send me an email and say you know pastor i don't like that song i don't like this music i don't like those drums i don't like them fine it's okay you, you can do that won't mean anything to me i just have to tell you so that we're clear it's not like i'm going to do anything about it but it's okay to know that but don't tell me god doesn't like it that you can't say because i know his word and his word tells me that he does he likes loud clanging cymbals 
Lord have mercy, huh? And, and electric guitars and dancing and moving, and he just loves that stuff. Now, if that's not your cup of tea, it's okay. It's all right. It's no problem. Just don't tell me it's his, not his cup of tea because the word of God says it is. You know what happens? Often we can make praise so boring. You kind of wonder what in the world happened. It's, it's respectable, and that's what we've done in the past, you know, with this moving or the hands raised or the, the musical instruments, and it's, and it's not respectable. We want to be respectable, so we calm it all down, and next thing you know, our praise to God is just really boring. And you wonder how God feels about that. That doesn't mean that we can't get excited. Even some people who say to me, well, you know, I don't like that enthusiasm in church. Then I watch them at a sporting event and go, oh, my word. Your team just won. And suddenly you're, wow, ah! Hmm. It's interesting, is it, that we get excited about the things we're passionate about, don't we? And we're passionate about the things that are most important to us. We have to really kind of examine our lives and wonder, do we get more excited about our team winning? The Dodgers are doing really well right now. Yes, go Dodgers! Yeah. About two months ago, I was saying, but now they're doing really, really well. How important are they to me? I grew up in L.A. and they're my team. Can I get so excited about how that team is doing and then come to God and go... I, I wonder, do I have it backwards here? Why am I so apathetic about my father? See, it's kind of scary when you sit and think about it. Are we really excited about our father? This whole psalm tells us this. We need to be better at praise. And hopefully by the time we're done here today, we're going to give you some steps that will help you be a little more focused on praise, a little bit better on praise. It is so important to God that psalm after psalm, song after song, lyric after lyric, God says praise, 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 praise. And it's okay to praise with music. It's okay to praise with dancing. It's okay to praise with loud music. Okay? We need to recapture and understand why. Let me show you why. Here we go. Now we're into your sermon notes. Ready? Pull those out if you want to. Here's why we need to be better at praise. First of all, praise is a sign that we really know the Lord. It is. Have you ever heard the, song, the, the, uh, the saying, to know him is to love him? Something like that, you know? If you just really knew this person, you just love him to death. Well, guess what? To know God is to praise him. If we don't praise him well, maybe it's because we really don't know him all that well. Oh, maybe we're acquainted with him and we're enough to be saved and everything, but... But how can you say you really know this incredible God of all the universe and go, eh? You can't. It's not possible. When Moses really got to know God face to face, what happened to him? Do you remember? What happened? When he saw him face to face, what, did he, what happened to him? What did he have to do? Let's put it that way. What did he have to do? He had to put a veil on his face. Why? Because he glowed. He glowed. And it was such a distraction walking through the crowd with people going, this guy's glowing in the dark. What's going on? <laughs> Put a veil on. Because he really 
got to know God face to face. Maybe, maybe our praise is a little anemic because we really don't know Him. We just haven't taken the time to get to know Him on that level. This is what the Bible says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. God, I know you so well that when I'm in your presence, I say, Father, praise your name. Where... For a lot of us, that's just not our experience, is it? If that isn't your experience, and many times it's not mine, maybe we need to ask ourselves, how well do we really know him? We know some things about him. But how well do we know him? Because if we really were able to come into his presence and know him and believe that he's here and know his awesome power and glory. Praise would be a lot more natural. How about this? Praise makes us focus on the creator, not the creation. <laughs> um, most of us are awed from time to time at God's creation, what he's done here. And uh, I've over my last vacation, I, I got to see some wonderful things. We planned it, you know, just like I said, we've been working on this for years, saving the money and putting it all aside because we knew it was going to be an expensive time. We went down to L.A. and then flying across the country, you look out this window and, and you see this country going by. Of course, with the Rocky Mountains and the plains and the deserts, it's just amazing. You land there in Florida and, uh, wow, that's, it's a beautiful state. It really is. It's just kind of hot and humid. We did take a little cruise. Again, we saved for this a long time. We went to uh, the Bahamas. Whoa! The water, turquoise, it was incredible. We stopped at this little island and, and we're able to, to uh, snorkel and that. And amazing! Just beautiful. Most of us from time to time are awed by creation. The problem is sometimes we leave it there. See, if, if we praise a little bit more, if we understand praise, when we see things like that, we need to go back not to the creation, the tree, that crystal lagoon, those incredible fish down there, but say, Father, I praise you. You made the crystal lagoon and all those fish. I want to praise the one behind it all. Remember the poem, I think that I shall never see. A poem as lovely as a tree. Well, how about the one who made the tree? If the tree is that beautiful, think about the one who actually thought up the tree and made it. This is what the Bible says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Do you know what this is saying right here? God is talking to you through his creation to say, I'm here, look at me. I, he, he's not doing this to say, look at my creation. He's saying, look at me through my creation. I put this here to tell you about me Look at me. But what happens is we look at the creation. See, when we learn to praise, 
We don't praise creation. You praise the one who creates. You look at that tree and go, Father, what a tree. Father, what a thunderstorm. Did you like that thunderstorm last night? Was that fun? That's the only fun thing about Florida. That reminded me of Florida. That happens every night in Florida. I was like, yeah, Father, that was great. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. In other words, every single culture, every place on this planet, whatever language you speak or you don't speak, God is speaking through his creation to say, look at me. I'm a creation. Look at me. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. One of the first pastors I ever worked with really taught me this lesson, and, and I remember it from time to time, and I forget it a lot of times, but sometimes I've got to go back to it. And this pastor's name is Lee Tipton. He's my senior pastor when I was on staff in Vallejo. And I remember the first time I stepped out, and we were together, and I don't know, it was evening, and I looked, and I said, man, what a sunset. And he said, thank you, my father made that. I'm just giving praise to a sunset. All it is is the sun going down and looks pretty because we see it through dust. But what about the one who created it? Ever since those words have been ringing in my ears, I try to remember when I see that beautiful sunset, I hear Lee Kipton's voice going, thank you, my father made that. Father, thank you for that sunset. Wow! You are showing me yourself through those incredible those clouds yesterday that came by and the beautiful formations. Your father was trying to say to you, through every one of them, look at me. Look at me. I created all of that. But we focus in because we're not people of praise, because it's not, it doesn't flow off of our lips easily enough. We look at the creation and go, whoa, nice cloud instead of praise. Thank you, Father, for what you've given to me. When we learn to be people of praise, when we praise like that psalm was talking about praising, our focus changes from the creation to the creator. Which also does this. It reminds us of this, this next thing. Praise reminds me of the constant presence of our Father. And you can write in there, the Father who loves us. See, when, when I see that sunset and I remember my father made it, I don't have to send him an email or something of that nature because, uh, you know, he's way out. He's standing right next to me saying, do, do you like that, Doug? Do you like that? And I'm able to go, Father, I love that. You know, if I, uh, and I've been able to do this sometimes, walk with people who are builders and I walk through the home that they built and, or that you've remodeled or something, I go, man, that's a great, you did a great job with that one. Whoa, I really like the, the, the brick worker. You did a great job with that because the builder's standing right next to me. Some of you are wonderful gardeners. And I've walked through some of your gardens and I've said, man, that's a great, look at that. I mean, the raised garden and the way you've got it all set. Boy, this, you've done a great job here because they're standing right next to me. Well, guess what? Everywhere I go, my father is standing right next to me. Every time I see something, I can say, Father, what a tree! Wow, that is so beautiful. Being able to praise quickly, that let praise just flow off your lips, helps us remember that God is right here. I don't have to say, but i got to remind myself to, tonight when I pray to thank God for that tree. I can say, Father, I love that tree. Thank you so much. And I need to remember how close my Father is to me. 
This is what the Bible says. I know some of you have gone through really difficult times. You're going through a hard time right now. You need to remember that your Father is with you and He will not forsake you and He's with you every single moment of the day. You don't have to go find Him. You don't have to seek Him. He's right there. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah, which means think about it, right? Meditate on it. Your Father is right now. If we're not quick with praise, if we haven't learned to praise, if we still focus on creation without thinking of the Creator, we, we tend to forget that our Father is right here. But when through His creation, we're quick with our praise. When we see a creation, we're able to go behind that creation and praise the Creator. It reminds us that He is right here. And oh, there are times in my life when I really need to remember how close He is. Here's another reason that the praise is so important. It keeps, it keeps us from arrogance in the good times. <laughs> it does. We, uh, we're pretty quick to turn to Him in the bad times, aren't we? Dear God, help. I'm in trouble here. Where are you? Dear God? That's, and it's okay. There's no problem with that. Matter of fact, our Father wants to do that. We're going to be taking a look at some of the songs, some of the songs that He had written down, some of the lyrics just say, help. It's in the good times that we tend to take a little too much credit. And we kind of forget that um, maybe He's behind the good times as well. See, if we're quick to praise, if we learn to praise, the good times come and we, we immediately praise God. God, I praise you for this. I praise you for this promotion. I praise you for this new life. I praise you for this. I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. Because you are the power behind it all. We take way too much credit. And you know why? It's because we want to take credit. We really do. That's kind of, remember we're talking about being hardwired? We already talked about this in the last sermon series, that broken nature that we have. That broken nature wants to take credit. It's that little voice inside of us that says, I can do it myself. And I did it. That's that broken nature. Well, learning to praise and be quick with praise and to see the power behind everything that's going on, it keeps us from that arrogance that from time to time we embrace in the middle of good times. Our father warned us about this, as a matter of fact, as the children of Israel are moving into the promised land. He'd been with them for 40 years, provided for them day by day by day. He knew he was not going to kind of set them free in the promised land, and he also knew their broken hearts because he's God. And he said this, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, your God, for the good land he's given you. Right there. Now, just right there. When something good happens to you, the next thing you do is praise the Lord, your God, for the good land he's given you. Otherwise, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Isn't that great? You see, when we don't praise him, we begin to take credit. When praise is quick on our lips, we're able to say, Father, you did it. Thank you for what you have done. When we don't praise him, we go, I did that pretty well, didn't I? But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant 
which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Some of you are so talented. You're brilliant. Some of you are able to produce wealth and you've been able to do so and that's phenomenal. But did you think you did it on your own? Who gave you that intelligence? Who gave you that mind? Who gave you the hands that are able? Who gave you the talent, that artistic talent? Who gave you all of those things that allow you to produce wealth? Your father. Your father. When the good things happen and we're quick to praise, we can say, Father, I praise you for a great vacation. I praise you for the, for the resources to do this. I praise you for my friends. I praise you because you are the power behind it. Do you remember the passage you want it more plainly? The Bible says that almost every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father above. And I just misquoted it, didn't I? What does it really say? Every good and perfect gift. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you for... Whoa! Quick with praise. But finally, and here we are. A life of praise is a positive, encouraging, and attractive way of life. You see, a, a life of praise is a God-centered life because we understand what we have, where we are, everything. We can praise the maker, we can praise the creator, we can praise the one who's given us all, and it's a positive, attractive, encouraging way for life. It's a grateful kind of life. See, sometimes what happens is we just take it all for granted. We just, you know... Uh, that's not attractive. Or worse, we're just critical all the time. That's worse. It'll spoil your spirit. It'll ruin your relationships. Because you're critical all the time, negative all the time. Nobody wants to be around you. Why should they? There's no glory to God. We can judge and condemn and control and then wonder why we're not productive for the kingdom. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because you judge, condemn, and control. You don't even understand a life of praise. All you understand is a life of criticism. Nobody wants to be around that. Even God. This is what scripture says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building of others up according to their words that it may be benefit to those, to, to those who listen. In other words, we as Christians, we as Christ followers, filled with the, the Holy Spirit, need to be praise-centered, encouraging, positive people. And it's a life of praise that helps you do that versus a life of criticism and negativity. We, we begin to focus not on the creation, not on the problems that we have, but we, we focus in on the, the creator God, the one who loves us. We're quick to give praise to him. Because if we give into a life of criticism, it kills us. I once uh, knew of a church that um, was about 180 people at the time. But all I can tell you is it was a, just a really negative, critical church. It, it, would, it was a, an ugly place. And people would condemn and uh, gossip. And it, 
I never understood it because that wasn't my experience growing up in a, in a church. And suddenly I'm thrown in the middle of this church going, what in the world is happening? And their native tongue was criticism, not praise. It was criticism. And boy, they, they spoke that well. Really, really well. And I just checked up on that church about six months ago, and there are about 20 people now. And they should be. They should be. They had no idea how to praise. Yeah, they had no idea how to praise. All they could do was criticize. That's how destructive that life can be. We need to be people who are quick with praise. And so, I'm going to give you two steps to do this week. Ready? Here we go. Oh, yeah. This isn't just theoretical here. Okay? Two things that I want you to do this week, because we need to be better at our praise. We need to be more free-flowing with our praise. We need to be quicker with our praise. We need to be focused more on the creator that we praise. So here we go. Two things. First of all, ready? I want you to find a trigger. Now, do you know what a trigger is? I don't mean like a gun. I mean a trigger is something that's going to remind you to praise. It should be something that you don't see every moment of every day because then it won't work. It should be something that happens to you occasionally throughout your day or throughout your week, and you're going to promise the Lord, you're going to ask his permission, you're going to ask his help. Whenever I see this trigger, Father, remind me to praise you. Now, you want to know what my trigger is? Red lights. I hate them. How dare they interfere with the course of my day? I mean, I'm going somewhere. And this red light has impeded my progress. Every time I see a red light now, it's a reminder. It's time to praise him. I don't mean just for the red light. I mean just praise him. He's God. You, if you can't find something to praise God for, you're not trying. The red light says, don't stop praise. Don't sit there and go, because that's my tendency. Father, I praise you because I'm fearfully in one. I praise you because you are God of mercy. I praise you for that incredible sky right now. That's my trigger. For you, it could be a certain commercial. It could be a, every time you get in line in the market, which is not also not a bad trigger. Don't get upset. Just praise him. It could be a, you see a kid on a bike. I don't know what your trigger is going to be. You have to work that out. But somewhere right now over the next several moments, I'm going to ask you to choose a trigger. What is the trigger you're going to use this particular week to remind you at that moment to stop and praise God? Because it's the clock, okay? Every time you see the clock, boom, praise, whatever. Somehow you need that trigger. Because if you don't, guess what? You'll go the whole week and praise will not flow out of your mouth or out of your heart because you'll get too caught up. Then the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is this. Ready? That was the first one. The second thing is praise the people around you because praise as a lifestyle is more than just praising to God. Once we get that whole idea of praising God, or maybe for some people, learning to praise the people around you rather than criticize the people around you is your first step to learning to praise God. Because if you can praise these people and they're broken, it's pretty easy to praise God. Let's be the type of people who are the when you meet someone, you walk away and they feel better about themselves. See, by praising the people around you, it does a couple of things. It develops that habit of praise, but it also honors our Father because He loves the people you're talking to. I'll give you an example. Right out of my vacation, 
first day, fly down to Los Angeles, and I go to pick up my Avis rental car, and I stood in line. One hour later, I'm still in line. I don't handle that well. I, oh, we're getting there, don't worry. See, my first, my first inclination after one hour of standing in this line is to really just let this person have it, you know, because that's just how I'm wired. Don't waste my time. Because here's what's going on, by the way, so that you know about Avis in Los Angeles International Airport. They run out of cars every day at 11 o'clock in the morning. They do. They plan to. So I had this car reserved, and I thought they'd reserve my car. They didn't reserve my car. They run out of cars at 11 o'clock every single day. I know, because I asked them. I said, is this unusual? They said, no, every day. They run out of cars at 11. From 11 to 5, they have no cars. None. You stand at the counter until the type of car that you have reserved shows up, gets vacuumed, gets washed, and then you go get your car. So I, not only, I couldn't figure out why all these people were taking 20 minutes to get their car. What's the, you sign the piece of paper, you go get the car. Until I get up there. And I said, yeah, I've got a, a, a van reserved. He said, well, yeah, you do, but we don't have one. What? I thought that's what a reservation meant. No. So we stood around and we talked. Now, here was my choice. Actually, I was texting Linda about, because she wasn't with me at the time, and saying, you know, I'm going around. When it was all done, and I saw Linda face to face, she said, well, did angry Doug show up? <laughs> that's, that's not a good question, you know. That's not a good sign at all. And I said, no, sweetie, he didn't. Because somewhere in that line, I decided, you know, the people at the counter, it's not their fault. I bet you they're going to have a really rotten day. So I went up there and I talked to this guy for 20 minutes and I called him by name because I've also got this new little thing I'm trying to do. If you're wearing a name tag, I'm going to call you by your name. Whether you're a checkout person or a waiter or a waitress, I'm, if you're wearing a name tag, I'm going to call you by your name. Otherwise, why are you wearing the name tag? It doesn't make any sense. So I walked up to a little barrack store and we had a great conversation, and I said, man, I appreciate what you're doing. This must be really, really hard for you, because some of these people aren't going to take it well. And then we got into conversations about it. We spent 20 minutes talking, and he said, here, your van's ready. So I went outside, and it wasn't quite ready. It was close to being ready. And I met another guy out there who had been yelled at all day long, and I just said, you know, I, he went and got my van and pulled it all up there and helped me load the, the stuff. And I said, man, thank you so much. I just appreciate When we left that place, there were two people who felt great. And my heart was singing. Because I'd learned to praise the people around me instead of, you lousy, rotten creep, how dare you waste my time. I would have had two people who would have cursed my name and I would have walked away with a pit in the stomach of anger. Praise the people. The next time, you, uh, this week, when you're in the checkout line, and when you're that checkout person, I don't care if they make 10 mistakes. Find the one thing they did well and say, you know what? You really pushed that button well. Well done. Good job. <laughs> That's good. The kids around you, your family members, praise the people around you. Let it flow. 
Because if I can praise broken humanity, if I can find something in the people around me to praise them and say, you know, well done, how easy it will be to praise my Father in heaven. And how attractive that will be to the people I meet, which is really what I want to do, to say to them, you know what? Walking with our Father is just good. Father, thank you so much. And we do praise you, but we don't praise you enough, and we certainly don't praise you with the abandon we should. And, Father, sometimes we just want to be respectable. And you, you wrote a song of praise, how important it is to praise you all the time. And, Father, we need to be better at our praise. Our praise of you and the praise of the people around us, it's the way that we should be living. And, Father, we're so grateful, so grateful for your reminder to us we're learning how to do this, Father. Our broken natures get in the way. Our culture gets in the way. But we can put those aside with your help, Father. Teach us to be people of praise. In the name of Jesus Christ.